We're winding down our lessons in Jonah. This is the last week. We're finishing the last chapter today. And if you remember, we left off at the end of chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10 says, When God saw what they, had did, what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring about the destruction that he had threatened. We mentioned earlier how wicked Nineveh was as a city, how evil, wicked. And yet God saved them. Who do you think can't be saved? What sin do you think is too big or too bad for God to forgive? If you truly ask for God's forgiveness, no matter what you've done, as Anna said, God will forgive you. Now, all sin is terrible in God's eyes, and each and every one of us is deserving of judgment. But we all know 1 John 1, 9. But do we know the verse right before verse 9? Verse 8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and truth is not in us. You know what happened? The Ninevites realized the sin. And it takes people to realize their sin before they ask God to forgive them. And then verse 9 goes on, if we confess our sins, in other words, we have to acknowledge that we do sin. If we confess them, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The Ninevites finally realized the truth and they turned to God. And we're no different. We have to first realize our sin, and not only the sins we commit before we come to Christ, the sins we commit after we come to Christ. And the most comforting thing to me is when you get saved, God, not, God forgives the past. That's, you know, that's awesome. But God also knows everything you're going to blow from that point on. And he still picks you. You know, if you want thing to forgive the sins, okay, now you've got to be perfect. Well, not perfect, right? Nobody's perfect. God knows, and it's no surprise when we blow it and we sin. And the Bible says we all sin. First John 1 John 1.8 is actually written to Christians, so we all sin. So Nineveh realized their sin, and these wicked, horrible people, they got saved. And they were spared judgment. And not only did he spare them, he had compassion on them. Think about that. What, how should we view people who we think are sinful? The Bible says God had compassion on them. We should look on everyone with compassion more than judgment. Matthew 9.35 says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of his kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. What did Anna say? God still heals. God still delivers. God still saves. It's still the same. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep, like sheep without a shepherd. That's the world. You think it, you look at people who are wicked and really, they're deceived by the enemy. And we have compassion on them because they are deceived. Verse 36 says, he felt great pity for the crowds that came because their problems were so great and they don't know where to go for help. They were like a sheep without a shepherd. When we look at our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers who want nothing to do with God, do we have the same compassion on them? These are people who don't know where to go for help. They have no one to guide them to the answer. 
Now, it's funny. If people know that you're a Christian, they make, make fun of you, ridicule you, but the minute they have a struggle, the minute they have a problem, you are the person they're going to go to. And they're going to ask you for help. But the only way they're going to do that is if you, they know you're a Christian. That means you have to act differently than them. You have to behave like Christ. It doesn't mean you are holier than them. It just means you don't participate in what they do. You love them, you care for them, and they know that you're, there's something different about you. And when so trouble comes their way, and it will, they're going to come to you. And we need to be ready for that. So now we're at chapter 4 in Jonah, last chapter. And at the beginning of this book, Jonah was acting like the prodigal son. He ran away. Now he's back, and he's acting like the older brother. Verse 1 says, But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. They got saved. This whole town got saved. And Jonah's upset. The New Living Translation adds one little phrase. It says, This change of plans upset Jonah. And he became very angry. What was the change of plans? Well, the plan was God was going to wipe him out. That was the plan. And because God repented and did not do that, Jonah was mad. These folks deserve punishment, Jonah thought. And now God's going to forgive them? Why? Imagine being angry because people came to know God. More directly, I think he was more mad that they weren't getting punished. He felt like God was giving them a pass on all their sin. Okay, yeah, they were wicked people, but I'm going to forgive them. I think Jonah was kind of upset with that. Yeah, forgive them, but come on, God, throw some punishment their way. Now, if the book ends at chapter 3, Jonah would have been hailed a great prophet, a reformer, Great preacher, the entire nation got saved. That's in the chapter three. But that wasn't the result that God wanted because God wanted Jonah to see his heart. God cares about the heart, right? Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. God needed to expose Jonah's heart. That tells us we may do everything right but we do it with the wrong motive. Jonah did everything right. He went in, he preached to them, they all got saved. Yay, Jonah. But God, that wasn't enough. God wanted Jonah to see his heart attitude. And you know what? God is going to allow you to see your heart attitude in different things as well. Are you doing things because they're expected of you? You do them, you do them but you don't want to do them? God looks on your heart attitude about what we do Jonah's thinking to himself oh great there goes a the neighborhood we were fine as Jewish people trusting God but we don't need these guys these losers these sinners these peoples who are so bad they don't deserve to be saved we don't want them in our camp we don't want them to believe like us you ever thought the same hey we're happy we're happy with our hundred people we don't need any more I've actually heard people say, you know, our church is good. We don't need any more coming into our church. Not this church, but other people have said that. We're, we're happy. We don't need any more newcomers in our church. That's just crazy talk. 
But ask yourself, do you get nervous when someone comes in that's different than we are? Maybe, they, maybe we think they don't belong. Or maybe they, we think they don't deserve to be here. I was listening to a pastor the other day. He's, he's been pastoring the same church for a lot of years and he went in into the church and it was a small church, like 30 people when he started. And it was, uh, the folks in the church were always dressed to the nines. You know, the guys always had coat and ties on. Women were always dressed up. They were always, you know, perfectly dressed. And after a couple of weeks, he met with them and said, look, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Now, this is a Southern Baptist Convention church, so he said, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I'm going to ask you to not dress up when you come to church. You know, you, and the ladies go, we can wear pants? We can wear pants to church? And he says, yeah, I want you to not, not come as slobs, but you don't have to dress up all the time because when people walk in, they see everybody dressed to the nines. They're going to think they don't belong. We don't, we don't care about what people wear. We want them to feel welcome in our church. So don't, don't put on airs when people walk in. That's what we want to do. We want to let people know that we care about them regardless of what they look like, how they come. We want them to see Jesus. Jonah was more concerned about his reputation than he was about the people getting saved. Because back home, he was the man. He prophesied the nation's victory. He prophesied that God was going to wipe out their enemies. He had a couple of fulfilled prophecies in the past. He was the guy. And now he's got to go back and say, okay, I was wrong. He has to come back and tell his people that because of what he was doing, their God had forgiven Nineveh. And now they're a part of the same family. And these guys who we hated, they're our enemies. They're getting the same blessings and rewards that we are. But Jonah, they haven't been with us through our struggles. They don't know how to be Jewish. They don't know how to do this stuff. Well, that's okay. When you become a Christian, you don't know how to be a Christian. All you know is you want God to be in your life, and you don't know. Anna had someone come to her, and we were there praying. He says, I don't know how to pray. How do I pray? We take that for granted, that you know, people know how to pray. And there's a lot of people in the world that have no idea what it is to pray. They come in as, as babies, the Bible says, and where our job is to teach them and train them. So yeah, they're going to come in different than we are. They're going to come in with baggage that we don't have. But God's the one that cleans them up, right? Jonah was more interested in his position back home and how people would feel than how God would feel. And we all think that we don't care what others think, but I think we do. We care what other people think. And we should, to a point, care, but when it comes to the things of God, we should not worry about what others say about us as Christians. We're doing what God wants us to do. Doesn't mean we're freaks or weirdos, it just means we do things what the Bible says to do, regardless of what people think. And so Jonah, complaining about it, tells that to God. In verse two, he says, he prayed to the Lord. Oh Lord, this is, is this not what I said was gonna, when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. That sounds like a pretty good God, right? <laughs> this is the case of being theologically correct, 
but spiritually wrong. If you remember, the Pharisees were theologically correct, but spiritually wrong. In other words, they knew it here. They didn't know it here. It's easy to get caught up in the knowledge but not having any wisdom about the knowledge. So even after Jonah complains to God and tells him you shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff, God is still gracious to him. God told Jonah, go check your heart, buddy. Verse four says, but the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Now he could have come down hard on him. He didn't. He said, check your heart, Jonah. Why are you upset? We always need to check our heart heart attitude when we begin to be upset. Or we think it's an intrusion or inconvenience in our lives. Another way to say this is, why are you really angry? How many have kids and they're mad about something and they tell you some reason and you ask them, no, why why are you really mad? And there's always another reason that they're mad and they're just taking out in different ways. And adults can do the same thing. If you become really upset with things that God may be doing in our lives, you should ask, why am I really angry? Why am I not, am I angry because I'm not getting my way as opposed to what God wants to do? Maybe we want to be the ones who give out the justice. Are we angry with them for doing something or are we angry with God for allowing it to happen? If God is sovereign and nothing happens he doesn't know or allow, then we have no right to exercise judgment on anyone. That's God's job. And God doesn't need our help in doing it. The Ninevites deserve judgment, and I'm sure Jonah wanted to be the one who did it. He wanted to be the one who went in and pronounced it and watch it happen. But Jonah was not the one to do it. God offered them mercy first. Verse five says, then Jonah went out, of the east, went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under and waited to see if anything would happen to the city. So he's waiting, maybe God's gonna do it anyways. But once again, Jonah left his ministry place without God saying go ahead and leave. He left because he was mad. How many people leave churches because they're mad? You know, statistically they say that like huge, like 90% of people who leave churches don't do it because of theological reasons. They do it because they're mad about something that's happening in the church or they have a problem with somebody in the church. Rather than trying to reconcile it, they just leave. And Jonah just left. Okay, God, bless him, I don't care, I'm out. So now what he's doing, he's being the prodigal son. The older brother didn't go into the feast. He stayed outside, sulking and being mad at what happened. Jonah left the city, sulking and mad because God didn't do what he thought he was gonna do. Sometimes because of our attitudes, we we can become a blessing to others, but miss out on the blessing yourself. If you do something with a wrong attitude, you can bless someone, and they're blessed by you doing it but you're not blessed because you have a bad attitude about doing it. He could have been teaching these new converts about the love and mercy and goodness of God, 
But instead, he's, he's all mad and he leaves. He's sulking. That's a, that's a unique word, sulk. You ever just sit around and sulk? Mad about something? Be honest. God didn't know exactly what you wanted, when you wanted it, so you sat around and you pouted about it. Now, bringing this home a little bit, we prayed and voted last week for the election. And it didn't turn out like some of us wanted. Right? Now we can just throw our hands up and say, what's the use? And sulk about what God did or didn't do. God's in control, right? Amen? And so whatever happening is God can use in his plan, right? But God doesn't choose our leaders. He allows us to choose them. He doesn't like what we choose sometimes. Hosea 8.4 says, These people have appointed kings and princes, but not with, any, not with my consent. People who are in positions of power, God may not want them there, but God can still use them anyways. Verse 4 says, and continues and says, By making idols for themselves from their silver or gold, they have brought about their own destruction. Now, it's easy to fret and sulk about what God is or isn't doing in our country. But if we know that God's in control, I'm not worried about it. You think about it, when Israelites wanted a king, God says, no, you don't need a king. I'm your king. No, no, give us a king. Okay. Here's what your king's going to do to you. And he lists all these things that the kings are going to do, right? I'm going to enslave your kids. I'm going to put them to work. I'm going to take all your money. I'm going to do all these bad things to you. And what did the people say? We don't care. Give us a king. Well, that's kind of what we're seeing today. All these politicians are going to do bad things. We don't care. Just... God is still in control. And God can turn wicked people around and save them. So whatever's happening or is not happening, I'm not worried about it. And to be honest with you, God gets people's attention through hard times. And God is more interested in getting people saved than he is about giving us an easy, comfortable life. So maybe that's what God's in the process of doing. Nobody here likes $5 gas. Nobody here likes empty shelves. But maybe God's saying, hey, think about me. Verse 4, Jenner uh, 4, 6 says, And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased some of his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. So first God gives Jonah an example of grace. Even though Jonah's being a spoiled little brat, God gives him a time of peace. But then what happens next? Verse 7. But God also prepared a worm. The next day at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant, and soon it died and withered away. That was fast. As the sun grew hot, God sent a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than this, he exclaimed. So the combination of the hot sun and desert makes him want to die again, just like he was in the fish. Now he's feeling helpless, alone, and miserable. And he was experiencing a little taste of hell. So 
Simple test of your character. Ask yourself these three questions. What makes me happy? What makes me angry? And what makes me want to give up? We've mentioned before that discouragement is the enemy's greatest weapon. If you're looking always to be happy, it's not always going to happen. Happiness depends on happenings. Joy, however, comes from the Lord. You can be joyful when your life is still falling apart because God gives you that joy. If you're looking for situations and things in your life to make you happy, it's going to make you happy for a time, but then what's going to happen the next time? You're happy when you buy a new car. And you're not so happy when the first payment comes in the mail. And it makes me angry that I have to pay $5 a gallon. And you know what? I just want to give up and not vote anymore. Do our circumstances make you happy, sad, angry, want to quit? Or does your relationship and desire for more of God give you joy? Jonah goes on in verse 9 and says, Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant that died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Think about that for a second. People who have thoughts like that, usually it's one thing that's it's more, it's blown up out of proportion compared to the rest of their life. It's just one thing they focus on and if you were to tell anybody else, you're worried about that. But for that person, that one thing is what gets them. And Jonah, just because he had a plant and it was hot in the desert, that makes you want to die? Just walk back into town. But the enemy, if he can discourage you, you're still saved. But if you're discouraged, you can become totally ineffective in God's kingdom. God is still speaking. Verse 9 goes on. Then, uh, verse 10, then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. And a plant is only at its best short-lived. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? So even at this point, even though Jonah's mad, he kind of walks away, God's speaking and Curiously enough, Jonah's listening to him. And he's responding to God. And he's not giving up his position that God's wrong because Jonah still had a problem with what God's doing. You ever heard of righteous anger? Well, this is unrighteous anger. Warren Wiersbe says, unrighteous anger feeds the ego and produces the poison of selfishness in the heart. When you're convinced in your mind that what you're doing is right regardless of what anybody else says and whatever what God says is wrong and you want to get even with someone, that's unrighteous anger. Maybe God's picking you to stop this injustice and even though your course of action is prohibited in scripture. I'll give you an example. Years ago, back in the 80s, there was this big wave of Satanism. How many remember when that was big and popular, you know, people talking about it and preachers preaching against it. 
There was a guy out. His name was Mike Warnke. I'm not sure if you know, if you've ever heard the name Mike Warnke. Mike Warnke was a self-professed ex-Satanist. And he was going out preaching the gospel, you know, telling people a story. As time goes on, somebody does a little history on him, and his whole testimony was a lie. He never was into Satan. never did any of this stuff. That's doing the right thing in the wrong way. God picks you to do something and you think, well, I can do it. If I do it this way, it's going to work a lot better, but it's not God's way to do it. God's going to eventually find you out. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. And you begin to do this thing because you're, you're ignoring what is to be true and you rationalize what you're doing because the end justifies the means. And that's kind of what Jonah was doing. He said, you know what, Lord? They deserve judgment. I'm upset about it. And it's for the better good that they are punished. And today, how about if you sue another Christian? Sounds like the right thing to do, right? If things are going wrong. Well, the Bible talks about that, right? Or maybe you stir up trouble among believers to get your own way. Your ego is built up because you think you are on a mission from God to right this wrong and then it produces selfishness in you because it doesn't matter who gets hurt in the process since your course of action is quote directed by God the innocent bystanders don't matter if you have thing in your mind that you think God wants you to do and you're going to bulldoze your way through it doesn't matter what who gets hurt what happens because you think this is what God wants you to do that's exactly what Jonah wanted to do he wanted to dispense justice and he thought he was going to be the one to deliver that message. But when he found out what God says, he, I'll handle it. You just do what I say. Jonah wanted to do it and God says, no. You tell him, I'll handle it. And later on in the book of Nahum, God does eventually give justice to Nineveh because they fell back away again. But Jonah wasn't, he wanted something else. He wasn't happy. It wasn't going his way. And now he has unrighteous anger. People who think they're on a mission from God to dispense justice are basically not happy because things aren't going their way. How many watch trials on TV and the accused bad guy gets off? It's like, come on. God says, I, I got this. I got this. Not up to you to get it, I'll get it. Jonah wanted everybody to be punished and not just the guilty ones. Remember, if you're on a mission from God, it doesn't matter who gets hurt because you're on God's plan. Verse 11 says, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, as many cattle as well. The phrase, not knowing your left from your right, that's a euphemism for kids. Deuteronomy 139 says, And the little ones that you said will be taken captive, your children who do not yet know good from bad. So there's 120,000 kids in the town who are innocent. They haven't done anything wrong. Their parents are the ones that are doing it. And Jonah wants to wipe them out. He doesn't care. Wipe them all out. Remember what Jesus said about keeping kids from God? Matthew 18 Whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, 
it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Wow. I think God, God's pretty serious about that. Jonah wanted them all, he didn't care, kill all the kids, I don't care. And God says, oh yeah? You didn't, you didn't have the New Testament yet, but this is still the principle. It'd be better off, Jonah, if you were dead than to cause innocence to be hurt. Mark 10, 13 says, people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little, little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now the word indignant is a variant of the word indignation, which means wrathful because of unjust treatment, anger with contempt or disgust and disdain. So it wasn't he was just a little upset. He was angered with contempt. He was wrathful because of the unjust treatment of the kids that were coming to him. Jesus and Jeremiah both on, looked on the city of Jerusalem and wept. Jeremiah 8.1 says, Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. Luke 19.41, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. But Jonah looked upon the city, not with compassion or tears, but with anger. God says in verse 11, should I be, not be concerned about this great city? Jonah ends, or God ends the book with a question that he does not answer. We're left to wonder, what did Jonah say? Did he stay mad and walk away from God? Or did he change his attitude at that point? We can ask ourselves the same question. Should not God be concerned about the people who we think don't deserve grace? We think they deserve judgment. Should we not be concerned about them? Should we not be concerned about our attitude towards other people? We, know, we don't know what Jonah does. Commentators vary on what his response was. We don't know. But the bigger question is, what's our response? Do we not care? No, Christ. There's this, I'll close with this, and we're late. Imagine going to heaven, and your friend's not there. And they wind up in hell. And they realize that you aren't there with them. And you could have spared them hell. But you didn't. You didn't tell them about it. You didn't say what's coming after death. You didn't tell them the judgment that is coming. It wasn't. But they're going to be there anyways. If they don't repent. You had that knowledge and you didn't tell them. How would you feel? You had the ability to tell them and you didn't do it. And now because you didn't share with them, they're in hell. We had the tragic story last week of that young girl who was hit by a car passing a school bus. You don't know when that day is going to come. And it could be that, that way for anybody. What is your response to that? We need to be about God's business when we get to heaven.
When we get there, the only thing we can't do in heaven that we can do here is tell other people. We'll worship in heaven. We'll talk to God in heaven. We'll know the Bible in heaven. But we can't bring other people to heaven when we're there. So that's our job as a church to do that. Would you stand? Would you bow your heads for a moment? Close your eyes for a second. Be quick. Never want to end a service just assuming that everyone is in right relationship with God. If you're here and you've never really committed your life to Christ, you've never admitted that you're a sinner in need of salvation. And the Bible says you're not here by accident, but God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And you're here because something that happened here today was meant for you. And if you're here and you want to you come to Christ and you want to admit, okay, I'm a sinner, Lord. I don't know much about this God thing, but I want to have a relationship with you and I believe that Jesus died so I can have that relationship. He's the one that paid the price for my sin. And because of that, my life can be changed. If you're here and you want that change in your life, I want you to raise your hand. All right, I'm going to assume that we're all committed followers of Christ. But maybe we're the ones who have an attitude. Maybe we're the ones who care that God's in control. We worry and we fret about what's happening around us and we forget that God is sovereign over everything. He rules and we sang, God reigns above it all. And that fear, that worry, it kind of paralyzes you. Or maybe you get depressed and discouraged because nothing's happening the way you think it's going to happen. God rules above it all. And God can turn anything around. In fact, the Bible says, all things work together for good if you're a believer. So whatever's happening in our life, God is going to turn that, make a U-turn out of that thing and God is going to make it a blessing to you. And God's going to make it a blessing to those around you. It doesn't feel like it now. But for those of us who have been through that ringer and come out the other side, we can see where God did that for us. So Lord, I pray your blessing upon each person here today. Fill each one of us as we sang today. Pour your spirit out upon us. Pour your spirit out. And allow each one of us to be empty vessels filled up with your Holy Spirit. Every day, Lord, not just today, but every day, fill us with your Spirit. Fill us with your wisdom. Fill us with the mind of Christ. And allow our lives to be reflective of that power that lives in us. You're an awesome God, Lord. You saved us so you can save anybody. So I pray that you would put us in a position where we're able to share with compassion the love of Christ to the people we come in contact with. Now, Lord, I commit this church to you. It's your church, Lord. We're your servants. Each one of us here is your servant. And I just pray that you would use us for your glory and for the kingdom of God in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. amen. God bless you. See you Wednesday night. If you're not coming on Wednesday night, we have a great study on Wednesday night. It's a great time of fellowship. We got snacks and coffee, so you ought to come.